Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of Paper Talk, the Irish Examiner's sports podcast series. I'm Peter McNamara and today, ahead of Saturday's Aintree Grand National, I'm joined in conversation with CEO of Horse Racing Ireland, Brian Cavanagh. Brian, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, nice to be asked. Brian, you've been CEO of Horse Racing Ireland since 2001. You've a, you've a wealth of experience. but. Give, give the listeners a bit of a, a bit of insight into Brian Kavanagh, his background. How did you get into racing? Oh, um, I, I'm, I'm a dope, I'm afraid to admit. <laughs> uh, um, although I've been living in Kildare for the last 25 years, I grew up in uh, in Dunleary. I have no background in, in horse racing, but did enjoy going to Leopardstown um, as a student. Um, I worked with my uncle, who was a butcher um, at the time, and uh, liked the horses and liked to have a float on the horses, and of course. When the shop got busy, uh, he needed a runner to go across the bookies and put his bets on for him. So that was me. And I started to get interested in the horses at that stage. And uh, fortunately then, when I went to UCD, I, I, I trained as an accountant. And when you come out looking for a job in the real world, uh, one came up uh, in the turf club, um, at which stage I had I developed a strong interest in racing. So obviously, it was a logical thing to follow my passion. Uh, so I became uh, the financial controller of the Turf Club back in 1989, 1990, and I've been lucky enough to um, to work in racing since then. And, and to be honest, it doesn't seem like work, uh, you know, when you're enjoying the the job you're in. But I suppose I, I can blame my uncle uh, Frank Taft, the butcher in 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 Black Rock in Dublin, for um, for first opening my eyes to horse racing. Um, but um, don't regret it for a minute. You got you got the bug, and that was the end of it, really. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's a great business, and it's a business really about people. You know, that's the that's the, the, the great thing with horse racing is that uh, you know behind each horse there's a, there's there's a, there's a great story, whether it's the owners, the trainers, the jockeys, the staff, uh, the people. And a lot of my job is politics because uh, you know everyone in the sector thinks their interests are the most important, are the most vital, and they are of course to them. Uh, so you're always trying to work with people or balance different needs and different people's needs so that's the that, that, that's the enjoyable part of the job and as ceo of such a massive organization what exactly does your day-to-day role entail you mentioned the political element of it there i suppose that's just, that's that's the same for uh, yeah. most managerial uh, positions it, it could involve anything um you know that's the that, that's the variety of it we're based here on the curra um uh we've 170 odd staff um now, some of them work for Horse Racing Ireland. Then we have a number of subsidiary companies. Um, we own the Tote. Uh, we own four, four and a half race courses, including Leopardstown, Ferry House, and Cork, and Tipperary, and Navin. 
and we have a subsidiary company, Irish Thoroughbred Marketing, uh, which sort of travels the world trying to promote uh, the purchase of horses in Ireland. So uh, no one day is the same. Um, have a great team around me here. Uh, uh, so generally, most problems or most issues that crop up in racing end up on my desk at some stage. Uh, and that's the, 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 the enjoyable part of the job is trying to, to solve problems and trying to, 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 to push things forward a bit, you know? Yeah, Irish sport is obviously such a, it's a huge part of our culture. Yeah. And probably no more so than horse racing. You look like the golf, we some unbelievable golfers, of course, the GA being our own thing. Uh, soccer is obviously in a, on a grassroots level is, is a huge thing. But certainly horse racing is, we're world renowned at, at that sport, aren't we? Yeah, I think Ireland is a sports mad country. Um, and it's quite interesting now, you know, I've, I've one of my close colleagues, Jason Morris, is an Englishman who's been living in Ireland for well, almost 20 years. And he often says to me that way, he, he, he has got heavily involved in the GAA, uh, coaches our kids in GAA, and he says there's no organisation, sporting organisation like the GAA uh, in Britain, which is, as you say, grassroots. But it goes across all sports. I think Irish people, you know, when the Olympics come along, we're all suddenly experts in rowing or sailing or, or boxing. Um, you know, I suppose last weekend, you know, we're, people were glued to the rugby or to the hurling or to the football. Uh, and as you say, Grand National next weekend as well as the Masters. So I think Irish people love sport, uh, and I suppose racing is is to the forefront of that uh, in terms of its uh, you know it's it's it, it, particularly you know the big meetings around Cheltenham time or the international flat meetings. Irish horses do well at those, and uh, you know that's great for the country. It's great to to fly the flag uh, that way, and uh, racing is certainly a, a sport in which. Ireland and Irish Irish competitors are respected around the world, you know. Brian, how has Irish racing become as powerful as it is today? What what sets it apart? A uh, few things, I think, Peter. The, 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 first of all, the people, the talent, the skills. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, you know. Irish people are better with horses than, than most other people around the world. There's a natural uh, connection or affinity with horses. People grow up in rural Ireland around horses, they're comfortable around horses, and that sort of skill, whether it's as a trainer, as a, as a jockey, as a handler of horses, passes on from generation to generation. Uh, so that's one thing, that the people are there. The second thing is uh, our climate, our soil, our land structure is very, very favourable for breeding horses. Uh, we give out about the rain in Ireland, but the um, the rain and the climate, and particularly the limestone-based soil, is very strong. It builds very strong, tough, durable-type horses. Uh, so it's a great Ireland's good country to raise uh, horses, and that gives an international appeal for it. And I'd have to say, you know, over successive years, the government have regarded racing as an important area in rural Ireland, and have supported it with them. Um, uh, you know, with uh, with various measures, whether it's funding measures, whether it's you know support for the breeding sector, uh, and that has allowed us to develop a, a strong position worldwide. I mean, it's amazing. You know, when you think of the size of the country relative to the size of Britain and France, and you know, in Britain and France, you're you're talking about two countries with probably a, a combined population of 120, 130 million people. Uh, yet Ireland produces more thoroughbred foals. Uh, than both of those put together in a year. So that shows the concentration and the intensity of the industry here in Ireland. 
uh, you know, we produce about 9,000 foals, and Britain and France combined will produce there or thereabouts 9,000. So it's a, it's, it's a very big sector in our country, and you know, that brings challenges, but it also gives rise to the fact that we've, we've, we've got a world, a world leading position. I mean, you go anywhere in the world in racing, and particularly in breeding, uh, you know, to all four corners of the world, very quickly you'll hear an Irish accent, whether you're in Kentucky, whether you're in Australia, whether you're in Japan, you know. So um, Irish people travel well in, in, in this business. It's obviously a hugely progressive business, but there are downsides, like anything else. And an example I would use, I suppose, was Adrian Maguire speaking on After Races recently about how, how he's struggling at the moment as a trainer. Pat Keane wrote in the Irish Examiner on Saturday, Saturday about the have and the have-nots of, of Irish racing. What can be done, in your opinion, to alleviate such negatives? Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an incredibly competitive environment. That's the first thing I would say. You know, to operate in the Irish racing uh, scene at the moment, it's very, very hard. You're coming up against the best in the world, and that's, that's not, not saying that lightly. Uh, you know, every day, whether it's in jump racing with Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott and, and people like that, or on the flat with the, uh, the uh, Aidan O'Briens, the Coolmores, the, 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 the German Wells. So that's a very, very competitive environment. It's like a, a footballer talking out every day to play against Messi and Ronaldo. Um, and that's, that, that, is, that is difficult. What we do is try and create uh, that competitive environment and put on high-quality racing, but also try to balance the programme across the board uh, you know, so that there's something in it for um, for everybody. I think the reality is that you know owning horses is is a luxury. Uh, it's something that people use their disposable income for. And the fact is that when the economy crashed five or six years ago, people cut back on owning horses. And for a long time during that crash and uh, during that sort of slump, uh, you know, it was the bigger owners, it was the overseas owners that kept things going. We now, for the last two years, 18 months, two years, have seen uh, a chink of light here in Ireland where people are now prepared to get back into horse ownership, uh, be it in a syndicate or be it in a partnership. And I think that's the area in which we can offer the most help to, to trainers who are struggling. Uh, you know, when Pat talks about the haves and the have-nots, you know, quite a lot of the people that he would describe as haves uh, might have been described as have-nots a few years ago and, and, and we created a system whereby people can pro progress through the system. The key thing for trainers is to get owners prepared to buy horses and have them training with them uh, and we can help that, you know, if, if the general economy is lifting we can offer competitive prize money and try and offer, you know, a race program that will offer opportunities for horses across all levels but I think it would be wrong to compromise on quality uh, in that respect. Uh, and then secondly, I suppose, you know, owners, uh, trainers in the past have had some difficulties collecting training fees, collecting uh, um, money from, from owners. Uh, and that's an area we're looking at with the Trainers Association to see whether Horse Racing Ireland can help trainers cash flow. But um, unfortunately, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a highly competitive environment. And, you know, there, there will be people who win and people who lose. And I'm certain, you know, you mentioned Adrian McGuire. Adrian is a wonderful trainer, wonderful rider uh, in his day, you know, a hero for all of us. Uh, give him the right horse. He, uh, uh, the Adrian McGuire of this world are well able to train them. Mm. Um, so it's to create the environment where they have access to owners who, who, um, who, who, who will put good quality horse in training with them. 
Is that an ongoing process, something that you've been working on in the background as it is, obviously? It is, course. yeah. No, it's ongoing. In fact, it's, it's, it's extended because um, we've opened um, a new ownership department here in Horse Racing Ireland in the last, uh, in the last two years. Uh, so we've a staff of three who are working with trainers uh, to try and help them, uh, you know, to, 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 to get new owners. It goes right back to the point-to-point scene where we put in... Uh, you know, extra funding into point to pointing, which would be very popular down in down in the Munster area. Um, you know, to again try and stimulate things at the grassroots level. So I I, I, I wouldn't underestimate the impact of the recession. You know, over the years, uh, in terms of um, uh, you know people cutting back on owning horses, and now if people are prepared to go back and start uh, getting back into horses again. We need to be able to help trainers to to, 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 to capitalise on that. We'll move it along now to, to discuss. Cheltenham was obviously hugely successful again for the Irish contingent, which, you know, in fairness, Gordon Elliott, the likes of William Moniz, you mentioned a while ago, hugely successful once again, and Jesse Harrington as well, of course, among others. Entry is upon us now, the Grand National meeting. Do, do you see an a Irish winner of the National this year? You know, we went 25 years without winning it after Lascargo in '75 until uh, until Bobby Joe won it uh, for Tommy Carberry, uh, and then we won uh, we won the national I think six or seven times in the following 10 years, and then we went a while again before we won it. We had a lot of place horses until last year when Mouse won it with Mouse Morris won it with rule, rule rule the world. Mm. Um, we had a bit of a spat as you know earlier on in the year about the, the handicap rating of some Irish horses in the national, but it looks like. We'll probably have 10 or 11 Irish runners uh, uh, this week, um, and uh, you'd particularly about a quarter of the field. And you'd like to think that one of them um, uh, will come out uh, on top. It'll be wonderful, you know, it's, 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 it's a very high profile race, and it would be wonderful to have an Irish trained winner, or at least an Irish, an Irish bred winner for, for, of the big race. You mentioned the discord, so to speak, between. Um, Phil Smith, the handicapper in England, and some of the owners here, and the trainers and the jockeys. Where did you stand in all of that? In the in the in terms of, you know, from an Irish perspective, what exactly well, were your thoughts on I, it? I look, look, look. Ultimately, Phil Smith is the British handicapper, and the races are run in Britain, so he's entitled to handicap horses for the race in Britain, whatever way he wants. I I I think reading it, the the, the main element of concern among some of the Irish owners and trainers was the fact that the British handicappers were keeping ratings of Irish horses but not publishing them. Uh, you know, I think Phil Smith will probably turn around after Cheltenham and say, well, look, you were complaining about the, the ratings of Irish horses and yet Irish horses still won seven out of the ten handicaps at Cheltenham. Now, you know, sometimes the, if you look just at Cheltenham or look at some of these big meetings, they're not the best examples to take because, you know, the best of the crop is going over for these races. You know, people are only going to run a horse at Cheltenham or run a horse at a big meeting if they feel they've got a chance. So, I, you know, I, I don't think anyone would argue that Phil Smith is perfectly entitled to, 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 to decide what weight any horse should carry in a race in Britain in the same way as I would argue that Noel O'Brien and the Irish handicappers here are entitled to give whatever weight they want to, to a horse in Ireland, whether it's an Irish trained or English trained horse. I think the issue was a one of communication or one of understanding that trainers put horses into these races uh, thinking that they were going to be weighted on the basis of their Irish rating and then finding out that they were weighted on a different basis and felt perhaps that they'd wasted uh, the cost of the entry fee. 
but I suppose after winning seven out of ten handicaps uh, at Cheltenham, you know, um, uh, you know, it just shows how competitive the Irish horses are, even off higher rating marks. It shows the quality of the standard of racing here and how hard it is to win a race in Ireland. In fairness, after Davy Russell won at Cheltenham, I remember watching him live on TV apologising to to Phil Smith yeah. and the fact that he, I mean, you know, that's, that's the way Davy is. Yeah. Davy calls it, calls it straight, uh, and um, I wasn't surprised to hear him saying that. I'm sure it's a bit of theatre as well, isn't it? Every every course, yeah. has to have a villain, doesn't it? Absolutely. But the, the thing about it is, you can definitely, obviously, you've spoken very fairly about it, but you can definitely empathise with. The fact that it really should be a bit more transparent, shouldn't it? Like they should be told. I, I think I, I think that's a fair point. I, I think that's a fair point. Now look, I'm far from a handicapping expert, and generally down through the years, I have found that you know handicappers generally get proven right in the long, uh, more often than they're than they're not. You know, they're professional race readers. Uh, it's their it's their job to uh, to, to 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 look at. Uh, at, at racing, I think it's difficult when you have such a, a high volume of Irish horses going over to race mm. at one meeting in England. Uh, you know the issue gets highlighted, and I, I, I don't think it's an unreasonable request for people to say, "Well, look, if there are separate informal ratings being kept of Irish horses, then perhaps they should be published." But um, you know, I think also, you know, the the the, the Cheltenham authorities built up this. Uh, Betbright Cup, Ireland versus England challenge, um, you know, which you know it's grand at one level, but at another level, you know, I think people go to Cheltenham to see a good horse, you know, wherever it's coming from. Um, but I think part of that maybe might have spilled over into you know the the question about the handicapping of of Irish horses and and, and stuff like that. But I thought you know at the end of the meeting, if um, and it wasn't just winners, but there was a number of Irish placed horses. I think the the, the message I took out of it was that. It's very, very competitive racing that we have in Ireland here, you know, that the horses are able to go over and, and, uh, and compete in Cheltenham. I think the handicappers in England probably took most satisfaction out of the fact that a number of these handicaps, you know, you had five, six, seven horses in contention coming over the last, which is what they look for in these races, not, you know, a horse winning by 20 lengths. So, you know, sometimes you have to look beyond where the horse is coming from and see how competitive a race they, 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 they put together. Absolutely, definitely seeing the bigger picture is, is something maybe they got lost in translation there as well between the both parties. But in fairness, at the same time, can you see the theory and the justification and people saying that maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if there was a, a uniformed waiting system? Yeah, I think I, I, I look, it, 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 it seems logical, uh, but I think you'd need a handicapping expert like Noel O'Brien on to explain to you the reason why there are different ratings in different countries, I think it's to do with the way the rate, the weight rate scale is applied, uh, and also the way that um, horses are treated at the end of each season. Where in some in some jurisdictions uh, uh, they drop all horses just to 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 to, to avoid something called slippage. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the 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 the, the two sectors in Ireland and England are almost. Um, uh, you know, totally interlinked uh, horse racing. You know, our horses, our jockeys, our trainers compete over there on a daily basis. But they are handicapped under different rules. So I suppose you know, what you're saying is almost moving towards a single handicapper looking after Britain and Ireland. That's 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 a big move. You know what I mean? I think mm. the thing I'm more interested in from handicappers is, is 
are they producing competitive racing? Are they producing handicaps where you have, you know, a very difficult puzzle for punters? You have maybe three, four, five to one the field in the betting, and more importantly, that when the horses come to the last obstacle, there's you know still a half a dozen horses in with a chance. That that's what you want to create exciting racing. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with you 100 percent there. What what are your hopes for for Irish racing in 2017 and beyond? Is, uh, there, is there any? We're, we're involved in a number of, 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 of key areas uh, at the minute. I mean, there's a, there's a big redevelopment start now on the Curra race course, so uh, that's going to be a major piece of work over the next two years in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, revitalizing the home of flat racing in, in Ireland. Uh, I think you look at the work that we've spoken about earlier in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the competitiveness of racing and maybe giving uh, as many opportunities as possible for as many people to compete in Irish racing. So, you know, if you look at our Cheltenham winners, you know, while Gordon and Willie and Jessica had a number of winners, there was a good spread of the other winners. Uh, you know, a lot of those were people who'd, who'd, who'd come from overseas to have horses in training in Ireland. That, that's very satisfying. Uh, so I'd, we'd like to see more people getting involved in ownership. Uh, like to see the, the redevelopment of the Curra uh, completed satisfactorily. And, and longer term, you know, we believe we, 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 the industry should be put on a more permanent funding structure uh, rather than the current year-to-year funding structure. And um, we've a lot of challenges in areas like Brexit, uh, you know, which brings its own uh, its own challenges. But I suppose more importantly, on the track, you know, we would want to see a continuation of the success that we've had last year, uh, both flat and jumps. You know, I mean, it's it's amazing to think, you know, before a race is run, Aidan O'Brien is seven to one on to be champion trainer on the flat in Britain this year. It's incredible. I saw that the other day. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Now, I, don't, I don't think it's particularly good value, but um, <laughs> that, that's a, a different day's work. You know, last year, we were lucky enough to win the, 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 the Gold Cup, the champion hurdle, the Grand National, the Derby, the Oaks, and a lot of other big races. So you'd hope for similar success. Uh, a big meeting like Entry at the weekend or at, at Royal Ascot on the flat or York or some of the classics. Um, mm. So the, all those sort of things are, 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 I suppose, what's occupying us at the minute, Peter. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today in Paper Talk Irish Examiner Podcast. Many, many thanks and have a good entry. Thanks a million, Peter. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 